0: Amen. If you have a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 21, 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where we're going to dive into this. Uh, when I was talking to Pastor Jabin and saying, you know, what, what should I talk about tonight? And where are we going? He said, it's our team. And immediately I knew what I wanted to talk about this evening. Uh, I want to talk to you about something that is very much at the heart of everything that our church does. If you, if you walk into our office, walk into one of our teams, This is one of those phrases, one of those things that that makes our church what it is. And I'm speaking to the heart, the soul of of City Light. And I really believe that God's got something special for you. So I want to speak to you something that's going to help you to form what it means to be the team here at City Light Church. And if you've got a Bible, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. I'm going to read out a bunch of scripture, then we're going to get busy with it. But 1 Samuel 21 and verse 1 It says, David went to Nob, that's a town, to Ahimelech the priest. Uh, And Ahimelech trembled when he met David and he asked, why are you alone and why is no one with you? And David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king charged me with a certain matter. And he said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Let's come down to verse 7. Now, one of Saul's priests was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. Now let's go to chapter 22, and we're going to pick it up in verse 8, verse 9. Sorry, chapter 22 and verse 9. But Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitib, at Nob." Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for David. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent for Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, and his father's whole family, who were the priests at Nob, and they came to the king. Listen now, son son of Ahitab, Saul said. Yes, my lord, he answered. In verse 16, the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the shepherds of the Lord. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and he struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests. With its men, its women, its children, its babies, its cattle, and donkeys, and sheep. But Abitha, a son of Ahitab, a a son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, there's a lot of A names in this passage, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abitha, that day, when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. I am responsible wow. for the death of your father's whole family. Wow. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who's seeking your life is seeking mine also. You will be safe with me. Wow. Verse 22, I just want to read it to you one more time. Then David said to Abitha, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible wow. for the death of of your father's whole family if you're gonna pick a guy in the Bible who's well-known then David's up there right I mean when we look at our planet today and think about biblical characters that are recognized no matter where you go on earth then obviously and rightly so our Lord and Savior Jesus is the number one person known on this planet from our Bible but second to Jesus is definitely David There are statues of David, murals of David, references still in songs being written today, lyrics written by David. King David is one of the most well-known figures in all of the Bible. Not only that, but King David was probably the most successful king that Israel ever had. And so much is known about David as this incredible worshiper. This man who wrote so many uh, songs of worship, these, these uh, psalms of worship, this worshiper who in just a linen ephod, boxer shorts essentially, was willing to dance down the street of his city in order to bring the presence of God. Anybody want to be the kind of person that brings the presence of God to Las Vegas? Do you need, believe your city needs God's presence? Well, King David was that kind of worshipper. Not only was he a phenomenal worshipper, he was also a powerful warrior. He could dance and sing on one moment and strike a giant down on another moment. King David, this giant slayer, the man who led the armies of Israel into warfare, King David was a phenomenal worshipper, a great warrior. And when we're looking for reasons to attribute to King David's success, Why was he such a successful king? How was he able to do such amazing things for God? It's so easy for us to turn and say, well, David was a worshiper or David was a warrior. But the truth is that everybody in this room knows a worshiper that hasn't had any kind of great success with their life, someone who can sing and someone who can minister, yet they don't have any X factor about them. And we all know a warrior, a brawler, a fighter that would look on the outside like they are courageous, yet their exploits don't touch anything of David's. And in our passage tonight, I believe that we're discovering actually the key I believe in our reading tonight, we're finding what was behind the journey, behind the worldview of David that caused this guy to come from total obscurity to the most significant place, second only to Jesus in fame in our world today. And I believe what was behind it, his ethos, his mindset, what caused David to excel so far in life, is expressed in three simple words. Three simple words that we find in our reading tonight. And three simple words, City Light, if they would become part of your DNA and your mindset, I believe they will be part of accelerating this great church with a name that declares your destiny into the fullness of what God has for you. Three simple words that are simply these ones. I am responsible. Can you say them out loud with me tonight? Say I am responsible. Say it just a little louder. I am responsible. Turn to the person next to you, one you really like and say, I am responsible. That's good. Yes, sir. If we're going to understand what's going on in this passage of Scripture, we've really got to wind the story all the way back to the beginning. David was the youngest of eight boys born to a man by the name of Jesse. Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. Seven of them were born to one woman. And then we don't know what happened. The Bible is probably intentionally vague. You know, maybe he had a whoopsie, maybe a little bit on the side, maybe a moment that's a little embarrassing. What we know is that when the genealogy lists the mother of David, David is the brother from another mother. And we don't really know much about that, except that when the holy prophet of God, Samuel, came to meet all of of Jesse's sons, one of his sons was conveniently left out in the back paddock that day, and his name was David. His earthly father was ashamed of him. His earthly father rejected him. Samuel brought him from obscurity and in the presence of his family and brothers anointed him. And aren't you glad that no matter where you might find yourself in the season of your life, that your God can find you no matter, no matter what back paddock, no matter what de sac, no matter what place you might find yourself, your God can find you there. Somebody, somebody shout amen in this place. He was anointed. God's presence came on his life. And so his journey began. You know the story that Israel was being confronted by a giant by the name of Goliath, and I'd love to preach it, but if you want to change your life, give God your last thought and your first thought. How every day Saul came out, uh, sorry, uh, Samson came out every morning and every evening at the break of dawn and at the fade of the day. All the devil wants, he doesn't need the moments in between, but if he can get you to go to your iPhone and be concerned about the markets when you wake, if he can keep you awake light at, late at night on Facebook, all he needs is the beginning and the end of your portion. He doesn't need to take the middle. You're already going to be defeated. 40 days, and, Forty days he gave the same defiance until one little shepherd boy turned up that, at that scene. He looked at Goliath and he saw not... I said Samson a minute ago, didn't I? Call it jet lag. He saw, he saw Goliath. Samson? I think I started with Saul, went to Samson, it's Goliath. They're all in the Bible. Halfway there. Samson. Samson. I'm glad we're recording this for a podcast. Get that bit on there. That's just great. Goliath taunted the armies of Israel. (laughs) And then the Bible tells us, That David descended down to that valley, took down that giant, won a great victory for his nation that day. And so Saul received him, brought him close, sent him out into battle. David was his go-to guy. Whatever David did, David was successful at. Saul was able to prosper and be better because he had David under him until they entered the city of Jerusalem and the woman sang their songs. It's always, always the adulation of the crowds that gets us, isn't it? That divides us from pure and not pure. And as the woman sang, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Saul's insecurities were awakened. This insecure, proud leader began to distance himself from David. He still sent him out into battle, but now not to win. He wanted him to be defeated. He stacked the odds against him. But no matter what, whatever David did, he was successful in doing it. And let's make note of that. Let's remember tonight that it's not how, 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 how ideal the circumstances or how wonderful the surroundings or whether people serve up destiny for you on a plate. If your God is with you, then no man, no demon in hell can ever be against you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's praise our God for that for about three seconds. Come on. God is on our side. City light, God is on your side. David kept going into battle and winning and Saul's insecurities were going into a frenzy until finally he issued an order and he said, I want anybody who sees that son of Jesse to take a sword, spear or javelin and thrust it through his beating heart. I want you to end the life of David, the son of Jesse. Word reached David while he was in his house and his wife and closest friends took him in a basket and a rope, lowered him from the city wall in the dead of night. And when David's feet hit the ground, he began to run. When you think about David's life, and you realize that his spiritual father rejected him, that his earthly father rejected him, he called Saul, my father, my father. And whether it was in the kingdom or whether it was in the house, all this kid knew was rejection, yet all he ever did was good to those that he served. If there was ever a person who had a reason to be a blamer, a person who was going to lash out at everybody around them and say, that's the reason for my difficulties in life, then you've got David. I don't know what kind of mess you've come from, but David's mess kind of rivals a lot of ours, right? Yet we find David in this passage of Scripture, the Bible tells us that he fleed for his life and he arrived at the town of Nob. And when he got there, he went straight to the house of God. I want to I tell you that when things are going wrong in your life, don't run from God, run towards Him. Isn't it easy for us as Christians in moments of our lives when, when things aren't going right, we're like, well, I'll stay home from church because things aren't going well. Don't run from God, run towards God. Why? Because it was in the house of God that David got two things, bread and a sword. God's going to give you a word that you can fight with and a promise that's going to sustain you in your heart. When you, when you come to God, His word is going to be bread to feed you and a sword to go to war against the devil. That's what we get. Anybody grateful for that in your darkest hour? God's always there, isn't He? While David is in the town of Nob, while he's praying with the priest. The Bible tells us he looks out the corner of his eye and he sees a man that immediately he knows spells trouble. The man's name was Doeg, Doeg the Edomite. He was Saul's head shepherd. David saw him and he knew. He didn't know, but he knew. You know, anyone know what I'm talking about? It was his Noah that knew. He knew in his Noah, on the, in the K-N-O-W-E-R. I've butchered the English language to create that for you, but it was... It was It was his Noah on the inside of him that looked at Doeg and thought, this guy is trouble. But David did what I've done, what you've done a thousand times before. He ignored the prompting of his heart. He ignored the prompting of his heart. He left. He left the town of Nob and he eventually found himself in a cave of Adullam where the Bible says that all the distressed and discontented and indebted gathered themselves around David and he could turn anybody. Aren't you grateful that when God is anointing something, when God is breathing on something, he just. He just takes whoever is handed to it and he just makes mighty men out of the discontented. He makes makes brave warriors out of those who are indebted. And I'm just so grateful for a God who sees the seed of destiny in us and not our current state of being. Can somebody shout a little amen about that? David and his friends are in that cave of Adullam. His little fledgling band of brothers are gathered in the cave of Adullam when the Bible says that word reached David of what he least wanted to hear. King Saul, hearing of the favor given him in the town of Nob, has issued an edict. I want every man, every priest, every man, every woman, every child, every baby, every living thing in the town of Nob, to be executed, an entire town is destroyed in order to make an example. This is what will happen to anybody that sides with David. When you think about the context David was in when he arrived at that town, the fact that his wife and closest friends have just lowered him out the window of a house. When you think about the fact that all he'd ever done to Saul was good, yet Saul was threatening to end his life. When you think about the fact that he is fleeing in fear, fleeing in rejection, fleeing alone and afraid in the depths of the night. David, when he arrived at Nob, is in the personification of the back foot in life. He had every reason to blame somebody else, to look at the situation around him, to to keep the secret of Doeg private. But can you imagine the whispers around the cave of Adullam as David said out loud what nobody knew before he said it yeah, wow. as David began to speak in verse 22 and he said that day when Doag the Edomite was there around the cave come whispers you mean he saw him yeah. you mean he knew he was there oh my gosh if I was and amazing how everybody's always smarter than you in hindsight right they're all going off oh, I was there I would have killed him for sure you know Everybody, yeah, totally, would have ended his life. That's an easy question. I got that, you know. Everybody, whispers are going around the cave. I mean, it's just amazing as David confesses to all of his boys who've been following him for only days or weeks in a rebellion against the king. You got the context? As David said out loud, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. I am responsible for the death of your whole father's family and when I read that something kicked in my heart friends as I began to realize that we live in a culture where nobody wants to be blamed for anything I mean we're all we're all busy blaming everybody else for everything else I mean, you know, the traffic was heavy, sure. I left five minutes to get there, and it's a 15-minute journey, but I found two red traffic lights on my way there. So the reason why I'm late is the traffic was heavy, you know? I mean, you know, I I didn't mean to do it. I forgot. I was late. You know, I was under pressure. You know, there's always a reason, isn't there? It's the government. It's the prince of the power of the air. It's the devil. You know, like, whatever it is. (laughs) Come on, man. Everybody's got a reason why they're not to blame. But David, David ran in stark contrast to that team. David could have easily kept it a secret. David, if we had read in our Bible tonight that David had said, Saul is such an evil man. I can't believe he did that. All I ever did was did him good. You know what? We would accept that in the Bible and we would keep reading on, true? Not a word wrong in any of what I just said out loud. But David would have stopped being David. Because what David did, and you're going to hear this by the end of this message, was David refused to make himself the periphery or the edge of his journey in life he said, no, 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 it's not, my, it's not somebody else's life. Saul is not the one who's gonna decide my destiny. The devil doesn't get to decide who I'm gonna be in life. It's my journey. It was my decision. I was in the moment. I made a bad call. And by doing so, David did this. He took the reins of his destiny and he put them back in his hands. He took his own journey and he took the seat at the driving wheel. That day, David became central to his journey when he said three words. Say them with me. He said, I am responsible. We live in a world where we're trained not to be responsible. I mean, it's it's there in children, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, you're going to discover this, Pastor Jamin and Shane, and you're going to discover that your kids can blame everybody else for everything else, you know? My daughter is the eldest. She's 14 years old. She is a professional at blaming her brother. Everything. I mean, when they were younger and she was the only one who could reach up high, who took the packet of biscuits, gave it down, and disseminated it to all of the girls that were playing at our house? She'd always go, Will did it. Will did it. He can't reach that high. Yeah, I know. We used to... St- I mean, they're just professionals. My son's got no one else to blame, so he blames the dog. I mean, the dog did it, you know? The dog cannot reach the cupboards, son, and he, the dog does not like... You know, it's just, they blame everybody else. I mean, guys are like, you know, well, yeah, I didn't mean to throw... I didn't mean to sleep with her, but she threw herself at me. Like, <laughs> like there's no one, two, three beyond that, you know what I'm saying? Like, was she naked? I mean, you know... Listen, I, I hate fishing. They should call fishing waiting, and, and I know we're in the desert, so. I just have a theory, Jay, that whatever you spend the dominant amount of time doing, that's what it should be called. So why call it fishing when really what you do is wait, right? They should call it waiting. Like it shouldn't be called surfing because that's three seconds followed by an hour of trying to get back out there again. It should be called paddling. That's what it should be called. Right? But this is what I have learned about fishing. If you catch the fish, and in New Zealand it's too small, you might have caught it, but you can throw it back. I mean, here's the thing. She might have thrown herself at you, but you can actually, you can throw it back. You can throw it back. That might change somebody's life right now. Come on, man. You can throw it back. People are like, oh, man, well, the sail was just too good. Well, now you're broke, and it's too bad, you know? (laughs) At the end of the day, we've got to make a decision about whether we're going to be on the edges or we're going to be central. Whether we're going to be the victim or the victor, whether we're going to be the decider or just the person being driven by every whim and fancy and pressure and circumstance. I'm here to tell you that we can change Las Vegas. We can change America right here from City Light Church. I don't believe for a second that this is a church called to just meet in a hall. Yeah, we're gonna have a Sunday gathering, but we've got a name that is a prophetic statement. We are the light to a city. We are the voice of Jesus. We are the hands of our God. We are the feet of the gospel. We are gonna win a city to Jesus. We're gonna turn a desert into an oasis. And if you believe it, give Jesus about five seconds of praise in this place. Tonight. Come on. Come on. We're not, we're not just going to drive by little things. We're not just going to walk down the street. We're not going to just turn up to a church on a Sunday and hope that it gets better. You ever met that Christian? Really wish somebody would look after those kids. I am responsible. I don't mind having time for this because it could could slip off the end, so I want to say it right now. If you can see the need, it's your responsibility to meet it. Not only that, but it's pivotal to your promotion. Problems revealed and not responded to will result in unbelief in your life. Problems revealed and not responded to will create unbelief. But problems revealed and responded to, no matter how small. If it's a lunchbox, God can feed 5,000. But all He's looking for is someone who's not going to sit on the edges and say, Well, I'm too insignificant and I don't have the ability, God's looking for people, God's looking for a church, God's looking for a community of worshipers that are going to say, you know what? God didn't put us here to be inconsequential. God put us here to be light and soul and to make a difference. God's looking for a group of people that are going to say, say it with me, I am responsible. Hey City Light, can I put it to you like this? You will never grow beyond your willingness to accept responsibility. Never grow beyond your willingness to accept responsibility. I mean, a teenager wants the car, but they've got to accept responsibility for the car before they ever get the keys, right? We want, we want to have a better marriage. Well, you're not going to take, have a better marriage if, if your wife or your husband is the only one responsible for the challenges in the marriage. It takes two to tango, team. We've got to take responsibility for it. We're, going to, we're never going to have the kids we want unless we take responsibility for raising them. We're never gonna grow beyond our willingness to accept responsibility. We are limited primarily by our willingness to accept responsibility. What's the difference between City Light, a church of however many hundred after only a few months, and a church of however many thousand after only a few years? It's the volume of people that are willing to say, it's not just Pastor Jabin's church, it's my church. It's not just their idea. It's my destiny. God's needing a group of people that are going to say, you know what? God didn't just cause me to walk in the doors of this thing, and I'm going to no longer be a person that's sitting on the edges waiting to see if it falls over. I'm going to be a person that's going to jump in on board with everything that God is doing. You know what? Because it's my Jesus, and it's my city, and therefore this is my church and about my church. Shout it with me. I am responsible. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. See, here's the thing about responsibility. Responsibility leads to opportunity. Isn't it amazing, that? have you ever read that story? I love this story. I was preaching about this just last weekend when Jesus sees this guy, am sorry, when the disciples see this guy sitting on the side of the road who has been born blind. Okay, born blind, born blind. Everybody got that? Born blind. And the disciples' question about this dude sitting on the side of the road that has been born blind is, who sent This man or his parents that he was born blind. And I'm immediately asking myself, what kind of sin do you do in the womb that you are born blind? Whoa, whoa, you woke your mom up far too many times, blind. I mean, is God? <laughs> what's God thinking, you know? Oh, that kidney kick, that was way out of line, kid. Blind, you know? Reflux, are you kidding me? Your mom had reflux, born blind. I mean, what kind of God are these disciples even talking about? that a kid would be born blind for his own sin before. I mean, what the heck? (laughs) But the disciples are looking for somebody else that they can allocate responsibility to. And notice what Jesus said. He said, guys, neither, but that the works of God might be revealed in him. Let me give you that, my, my version. He said, problems don't exist for Christians to level blame. Problems exist for Christians to solve them. That's why they're there. They're opportunities for the glory of God. They're opportunities for God's blessing. Listen, as we continue to move forward, City Light, you're going to experience with the revival God's going to bring your way. Holes are going to open up everywhere. Man, we need some more people to park some cars. We need some more people to help with some children. We need some more people to join that worship team. We need some more people to help us with our feeding program. We need some more people to open up their homes and to have some small groups in them. We need some more people to disciple these broken marriages. We need some more people to love these addicts that are getting their lives set free. We need some more people for this, for that. And it's going to be Easy to look and say, I hope somebody does that, and I wish someone would do that. But imagine the revival that could come to Las Vegas if we as a community decided tonight that we're not going to sit on the edges, but we're going to join the team and we're going to say, You know what? I am responsible. I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but I want you to get this deep in your DNA. I'd love to see this as a chat in the car park. Wow, that's a problem. You know what? I'm responsible i love it to come part of the way that we think about church life. I am responsible. Responsibility leads to opportunity. We have seven different campuses of our church. We're about to start our eighth and five of them are in different geographical cities. We have to fly between them in the nation of New Zealand. And one of the most significant cities in our city is called Christchurch. And Christchurch was devastated by an earthquake about five years ago. The earthquake killed 163 people, David, is that correct? Um bought down homes, lots and lots of homes, like thousands of homes were completely destroyed in one day, including my parents' home, including my brother's home, uh, lots of our churches. Everybody knew somebody that had died. It was just a horrible, horrible time. And by the way, um, what an amazing response. Uh, you were even as a fledgling community to it to a, a horrific tragedy. Um, in October last year here in Vegas, and you just got to know that we were praying for you. We, we, we love you, we're calling Javen. And I'm sure that's affected many, many people here, and our hearts are definitely towards you in that, I understand, uh, the pain that must be. But in the middle of that, I was in bed with a vomiting bug. The earthquake happened, I think, about 10 o'clock in the morning, 11.30 or so, the phone at my house rings, and this lady says to my wife, my dad has a truck, let's get the truck, and he'll drive it and we'll fill it with goods from our church office and we'll send it down to the city because everything's just chaotic, everything's broken. We're like, good idea, so we send an email out to our church. Within half an hour, people were turning up at the church office to fill the truck. Truck was filled by about two o'clock in the afternoon. Next truck arrives, full by five o'clock. Then it starts to go viral, like it starts to go out to all of our campuses, all blacks, I don't know if you know who they are, but most famous athletes in our country. A couple of them uh, go to our church, and one of them put it on his Instagram. That office was in Hamilton. It filled up. Wow. We ended up sending shipping containers. The biggest freight co- company in the country got on board. They said, if you can fill a shipping container, we'll truck it down. So then we're, ship- we're shipping. Then a guy in our Christchurch campus said, I've got a, an off- a, a warehouse. The building next door is empty. I'll try and lease it. So within 24 hours, we had a huge warehouse, like bigger than our building that we just built. And it filled with shipping containers, filled with all of these goods. Mums were giving birth in hospital and then coming out of hospital, couldn't get to a supermarket, didn't have, didn't have a diaper, didn't have, didn't have, you know, like anything, no clothing, nothing. The house was gone. The supermarkets are gone. And by day five after the earthquake, The council was sending workers door to door saying, if you need help, call this number. And the number on it was an 0800 number for our Wellington office where all our infrastructure was still going. And then we had by then an army of people that were down in the city of Christchurch with cell phones. Cell phones were still working. And we were were the number one source of aid by day five. We got, we got commendation from the government of our nation, from the city, this is New Zealand people where the church is not really embraced at all. And the crazy thing is, that in a, over the next few weeks, a revival broke out. People walking into the services like, I have to get my life right with God. I've never seen anything like it before. But I just, I want you to know, That when you begin to take responsibility, responsibility will lead to opportunity. Here's the thing I want you to understand, City Light. You give power to what you blame. You give power to what you blame. Whatever you blame gets more powerful. Two kings in Israel's history were confronted by this sin. One, his name was Saul, and the other was actually David. King Saul had a prophet who said to him, Don't offer up sacrifices before I arrive. Okay, Don't offer up sacrifices before I arrive. The Bible says the people started leaving, so Saul gets the sacrifice party going, and along comes the prophet, and he's like, what is this bleeding of cattle I hear in my ears? And Saul says to him, well, the people, the people were leaving. And the prophet responded and said, this day the kingship has been taken from you and given to another who has the heart of God. Okay, in contrast to that, King David looks out his bedroom window, sees a babe having a shower in her backyard and goes, hubba, hubba, ding, ding, look at the legs on that little thing, (laughs) takes her into his bedchamber, has an adulterous liaison with her to cover up his adultery, kills her husband. Okay, so offering up sacrifices before the appointed time. The other guy, adultery and murder. Which would you say is the greatest sin? I'm going with adultery and murder. Yet when David was confronted by the prophet Nathan for his sin, the Bible said that his opening line was, I have sinned before the Lord. And the prophet responded and said, this is the opening line to an adulterous murderer. He he said, your guilt is taken away from you and your sin is atoned for. Isn't it amazing? And King Saul lost his kingship. King David is called the friend of God. Why? because God is looking for a group of people that aren't going to blame the prince of the power of the air aren't going to look for the economy to save us God's looking for a group of people that are willing to say we are city and we are light and we were born here by God we're not part of the problem we're part of the answer we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength come on are you with me today I believe that God is getting ready to do something amazing through you, City Light. I prophesy it with all my heart. But God wants a community of people that are simply going to say, "I am responsible." Say it again. Say it. I am responsible. Say it one more time. I and responsible. Oh, I'm here to tell you tonight that this church is only how many months? Six months old? Something like that. You're meeting here for the very first time and you might think that you're just a little community of people getting started in one part of Las Vegas, but I'm here to tell you that that can never get into your heart or into your spirit for one moment. Don't ever think that you're just a little part of God's eternal plan. Don't ever think for a minute that this is just a little community of believers. This is a revival and an embryo state. This is a move of God that is just getting going. This is going to be something that will go all the way and have a voice to a city and impact a nation. I believe that with every fiber of my being. But if God's going to keep breathing on us, I'd love to believe that we could be a community of people that are just going to say, I am responsible.